Let's pray. Lord, open our minds to a better understanding of your holy words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture today is from 1 Peter chapter 2. I will be reading verses 4 through 10. O come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. As a royal priesthood and as living stones that seek to be built into a spiritual house, we turn now to our Old Testament lesson for this morning, which comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. So listen now for the word of God to the church on this Lord's Day. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the, go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place 
and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this week, many of you will gather in small groups to open up Donald McKim's book, Living into Lent, and you will focus together on the spiritual discipline of meditation. Now, I'm not at all surprised that McKim used a psalm to introduce this concept because meditating is a primary activity of these ancient prayers and poems. The Hebrew verb is Hagah, which itself is a complex word worthy of deep contemplation because it can mean so many things. To meditate, to moan, to growl, to utter, to muse, to devise or plan, to ponder, to imagine. The verb describes the act of a contemplative artist, a reflective, thoughtful person whose goal is to seek meaning and achieve deeper understanding of life. In reflecting on the book of Psalms, Athanasius, the renowned bishop of Alexandria and one of the most respected fathers of the early church, once said that the whole of human life both the basic spiritual position and the prevailing movements and thinking are contained within the words of this book. There is nothing which remains to be said about humanity. In other words, Athanasius was convinced that there is nothing that we can say, do, think, feel, or experience as human beings that is not somehow described in the Psalms. Taking it a step further, I may say that the Hebrew concept of Haggah is the primary act of the reader, hearer, and recipient of this, this ancient wisdom in the Psalms. The Psalms invite us to meditate, muse, groan, and growl our way to the spiritual heart of the life that has been breathed into us by the living God. Now, that's the broad view, but I want to spend our time this morning honing in on one particular focus of this kind of biblical meditation, both in the Psalms and elsewhere. The idea I want to lift up is stated clearly in Psalm 77. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. The psalmist is not just meditating generically about the nature of God. 
He's not thinking about what God could be or what he wanted God to be. This psalmist is thinking about what God has done, how the power of God has actually manifested itself in the world. As McKim puts it, our God is a God who acts, acts with works, with wonders, and with mighty deeds of power. This is exactly the kind of meditation Moses is seeking from the Israelites. They have already seen some wondrous deeds. The parting of the Red Sea and deliverance from the Egyptian army, guidance through the desert by a cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire by night, water from wells and rocks when they were thirsty, manna and quail when they were hungry, defense against Amalekite attackers, and grace upon grace for sins and grumbling, even when they had created a golden calf and bowed down to it instead of to the God who was caring for them so faithfully. After years of wandering in the wilderness, they are within sight of the promised land, So Moses begins to speak about life in their new home, how they should act, what they should do. And his advice essentially boiled down to this. Do not forget the God you now know. In the miracle of the burning bush, God had introduced himself to Moses in a cryptic way. I am who I am. God says. When we read this as seminarians looking at the Hebrew text and what it might mean, I'll never forget a translation my professor offered to us because the verb tenses in Hebrew are somewhat fluid. The name of God as expressed to Moses through the burning bush could actually be, I am who I will be. In other words, it is as if God introduced himself to Moses by saying, you want to know who I am? Just watch. Follow me. Walk with me and see what I do. See what I give you. See how I lead you. See how I will protect you and mold you. And when it is all said and done... When you look back on it all, that is when you will know me. You may know me a little from what I have said, but you will really know me by what I have done. And when you see that I do what I say, when you see that I am worthy of trust, when you see that I keep my promises through thick and through thin, then you will know me. Think about it this way. Think of your best friend from childhood, from college, from adulthood, whenever. Maybe you remember what your best friend said to you the first time you met. More likely, you don't. And even if you do remember, Would you say that you knew everything you needed to know about that person in that moment? Or would you say 
that what you really remember is the collective experiences you have had with that person. All the times when you shared laughter or tears or joy or fear and trembling. In the end, isn't that what makes you conclude this is my best friend in the world. That is what Moses told the Israelites to think of. That is what the Psalms tell us to meditate upon. Not just what God says, but what God does. What God has done. That's why the great foundation of Old Testament faith is this list the amazing, wonderful, exhaustive list of all the great things that God has done. And that is why the great refrain of faith is the prayerful promise, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate upon all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. That's why Moses says when you get there, when you finally set your feet in the land promised to you by God after all this time, never forget. Do not forget what God has done for you. Your father was a wandering Aramean. He was lost, and so were you. You once were lost, but now you are found. And the only way you could ever have made it home, the only way you could be safe and blessed the way you are, is because of what God has done for you. You are here because the Lord heard your cries and saw your affliction. You are here because the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and with wonders. God brought you into this place and gave you this land flowing with milk and honey. The same is true for us. We're not still singing Amazing Grace today, because John Newton read some lofty words in the Bible. We still sing it because a sinner and a slave trader had no choice but to write about what God had done, how God moved heaven and earth to save him when he didn't deserve to be saved. It was only at the end when Newton looked back at all the awful things that he had done and also upon all the gracious, loving, miraculous things that God had done, that Newton realized that the true nature of God is grace and love. Grace and love that is not just considered, but enacted. Not just possible, but made real in the world. Sometimes we have no idea how God is carrying us until we arrive at a peaceful place when we catch our breath and open our eyes and we can look back 
and recognize all the ways that God has been steering us, providing for us, and loving us, though we knew nothing of it at the time. Lent is such a time. It is a time for us to recognize all the ways that God has carried us and is still carrying us. A time to meditate upon love we do not deserve, blessings that we did not earn, and gifts that only a loving parent would bestow. At the very least, this kind of meditation will lead us to awe and wonder at a God whose love for us is that great and help us to know like we've never known before what a friend we have in Jesus. At the very best, we may just find that as we meditate upon all that God has done for us, we might find our own deeds, our own work, and our own actions reflecting God's love in ways we could not have imagined. In this Lenten season, let us promise to God and to each other to follow the way of those who have come before us and to say with them, I too will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I too will remember your wonders of old. I too will meditate on your work and muse on your mighty deeds. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.